For the week of June 12, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with Indivisible Washington's 8th District Leader, Chris Petzold, about a town hall event coming up on July 22nd. Then we talk with Larry Barrent of Indivisible Whidbey about the great work that they have been doing on behalf of healthcare. And of course, we have our weekly call to action and our dose of good news. We welcome now Chris Petzold, who is the founder and head of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, to talk about a town hall event that is coming up in Auburn on July 22nd. Hey, Chris. Hello. So, first, let's talk about the event itself. Uh, The town hall is ostensibly meant to be for 8th District Congressman Dave Reichert, right? That's right. But he is, uh, again, saying that he won't be attending. Um, He just simply doesn't do town halls. I assume that you reached out to his office, yeah? Oh, absolutely. We reached out to his office. Um, And, you know, we've been told in the past that he doesn't do town halls. He doesn't think they're productive. Um, I reached out with a, you know, a a personalized invitation to the congressman and promised that I would personally uh, make sure that it was a positive, productive event. Um, And I was told that the congressman's stance on town halls hasn't changed. Well, as somebody who has attended uh, two town halls in our district, I can also vouch for that. They're enormously uplifting and very positive events. But, uh, you know, I guess that's that's Dave Reichert's call. So uh, we have a special guest who is going to be subbing in for Congressman Reichert. Uh, tell us about her. Yes. So Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal has agreed to step in for the congressman um, and give uh, us in the 8th District um, a chance to ask the questions that we all want to ask our congressman. Uh, so Pramila Jayapal is going to be filling in, uh, giving our folks a chance to just have a, a dialogue um, with with someone who's an elected official from Washington. Yeah, and I, I know that people are going to want to talk about a lot of things that are going on right now. Certainly there are questions about the environment. I know that, you know, the EPA threatening to sell off a lot of national monuments uh, has been a big topic here in the state. Health care, education, and Russia. Um, <laughs> that's certainly at the top of uh, everybody's uh, agenda right now. And so this is a great opportunity to talk to somebody who actually has her feet on the ground in Washington and is willing to take on the tough questions, right? Absolutely. Uh, She's going to spend a few minutes uh, speaking, you know, just giving some preliminary remarks, sharing with us WTH is going on in Washington, D.C. You could say WTF, um, Chris. I mean, you know, it's it's still a family. It's a family term. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but we're going to spend the bulk of the time just opening up the floor yeah. uh, to folks to ask the tough questions, and she welcomes that. Yeah. Well, and I should just mention that if you've never seen Congresswoman Jayapal speak before, she is dynamic. She is amazing. I have not seen her in person, but I have watched footage of her town halls in Seattle that she did uh, early on. And she is a firebrand. She gets people really, really charged up. Uh, It's basically just a sea of green paper and with pretty much everything that she says. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, if you have if you haven't seen her, uh, I really encourage 
encourage people to come out. Uh, we also have Melissa Showit from National Indivisible. Uh, she's going to be coming to uh, to talk about some some things that are, are related to how the Indivisible movement is, uh, what their strategies are, particularly when it comes to our district. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we are totally fortunate to have a great uh, representative from the Indivisible national team. So basically like the office where Ezra Levin works, um, we have someone uh, who's assigned to our state and in particular our group. Um, and she uh, is going to be coming and sharing uh, some uh, information about, you know, what's coming ahead, uh, what our current uh, progresses with the national movement, how our you know district and our little team fits in. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from her um, in person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll be informative for a lot of people to kind of get to have a dialogue and, and sort of a one-on-one connection with the, the National Indivisible Movement, because most of us got started by reading that uh, that Google Doc that circulated these many yeah. months ago. And so it'd be really cool to, to be able to talk to somebody one-on-one. Um, the tickets for the event are $5, but I should stress that that is to help offset the out-of-pocket costs that you personally have laid out. Um, but if people do have trouble with that, they can still come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we are absolutely not going to turn anyone away. Uh, we're just asking for some help in covering the cost of renting the venue, buying insurance and stuff like that. Um, any leftover proceeds we're going to donate to the Auburn food bank, uh, right after the event. Um, and it's just to defray our costs, but absolutely we won't turn anyone away. No way. No. Now, people have said that they are having a little bit of trouble navigating the Eventbrite site where the tickets are being sold. Um, I know that people can pay at the door. If they're planning on doing that, should they RSVP you to sort of let you know ahead of time, like how many chairs to lay out in the bleachers and all that? Yeah, so it is a, it's a really great venue, um, and it's just getting uh, remodeled as we speak. I think we're going to be the first event um, since their remodel. Beautiful location. Uh, and we are trying to get a head count so that we can um, lay out the appropriate number of seats. If you are having trouble buying a ticket, I'm sorry to hear about that. I'd love to have you email us at indivisiblewatt8 at gmail.com and we can either, you know, walk you through buying the ticket, whatever it takes. Um, or, yes, just let us know that you'll be there so we can have a good head count. And that info will be on the SoundCloud page. And this is going to be at Green River Community College, correct? Yep, down in Auburn, uh, right in the heart of the 8th District. Excellent. And uh, again, just I'll give you the last word on this. Uh, what is the, the time and the date? Saturday, July 22nd from 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, and uh, it's just going to be a great event. I really look forward to seeing everybody there. Absolutely. And I also have to say, uh, if, uh, if if you guys haven't met Chris, come on out and meet her. She's awesome. So, Chris, thanks so much for uh, <laughs> for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. See you soon. Yep. My next guest is Larry Barrent, who is the founder of Indivisible Whidbey. And he, along with his group, have been tremendously active in the fight for health care and in staging protests to stop Trump care and the current Senate bill, including an entire week of events called Stop Trump Care Week. 
On Whidbey Island, they essentially rely on one hospital, Coopville General, and that hospital could be shuttered if Trump Care passes. So I asked Larry to talk a little bit about the stakes involved in all of this. This is a situation where, you know, if, if, if it goes under, we have to leave the island, which you know, essentially means we're, you know, for, you know, for, you know, for, any, for any kind of you know, severe emergency, we're looking at being airlifted out of here. Well, so tell us about the vigil that you held at Coopville General. You were there for uh, quite some time, yes? We did a 24-hour vigil, and we, we, we broke it up in, in two-hour shifts. Um, my, my, my wife and I did the midnight to 2 a.m. shift, which was kind of interesting on Main Street in Coopville because you get, you get excited every time you saw a pair of headlights. <laughs> um, it, there was something, I think, very powerful about, you know, again, you know, small town, the local hospital. We're all connected to that hospital in ways I've never experienced, you know, when I lived in a large city. I mean, I think everybody I know knows somebody who worked in the hospital. Everybody's got a story about that hospital and how that hospital you know, did, did did something life saving for them or for someone close to them, uh, because it ultimately doesn't matter on Whidbey Island how rich or poor you are, or how you are paying for your health care, where you get your insurance, because we all depend on this hospital. Well, it sounds like you touched a nerve there in your community and on something very essential. And I know that most recently you launched uh, a series of events called Stop Trump Care Week. Uh, this was last week. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this one we tried to, we, we decided to try to do something a little bit different. So much of the focus of, of what we try to do is measured by how many people were there. You know, you held a march. The first thing people want to know is 5,000, 10,000. How many people were marching? And what we decided to do was a footprint sort of based on time and geography. Um, so the idea was, I mean, you know, Whitby Island's a good, it's a good solid um, hour's drive from one tip to the other. So we did events all over the island. We had education events in the north and Oak Harbor and the south and Langley. The part of the reason to do the vigil for 24 hours was to give everybody a chance to participate, no matter what their work schedule might be or their child care schedule or, or, or what have you. Um, and then we, we, we concluded um, with an event that we did uh, on Thursday in Everett, and we did that for 12 hours. And we then, you know, to, to sort of to measure the overall impact, um, we had a candle for everybody who participated um, mm-hmm. you know, during those four days. Um, everybody who participated, um, you know, wrote a message on a um, piece of paper, um, sort of a, a candle vigil holder, one of the... So the circular um, papers that you stick the candle through the middle, right. you know, they wrote a message on it, uh, you know, a wish for the health care of somebody they loved or for a group like, you know, veterans or um, or children with disabilities. And we lit at the end, you know, more than 100 candles. That was sort of our picture for, um, you know, everybody who was able to uh, participate um, in a small way or a large way um, you know, during those four days. What sort of reaction did you get from the community around there? I know that you got written up in the local paper. We did. And it was, um, we got a, a surprisingly positive write-up. Um, you know, the, the paper here is, is, is a bit on the conservative side and generally does not cover national issues. Yeah, I noticed they led with uh, a couple of instances of you being cursed at by passers-by, but that's not <laughs> abnormal. It isn't for, you know, for an indivisible group. So No, no, I, I, think, I think, you know, probably, you know, 95% of the reaction we got was positive. Yeah. Um, the, the reporter just happened to be there during some of the negative. 
And, you know, again, that that's fine, too, because I, I, the, the worst thing that happens is the worst thing could be is just to be ignored. Right. Um, you mentioned on Facebook that you hadn't gotten the level of support from our two senators that you were hoping for. What sort of engagement were you looking for and what kind of engagement would you like to see from both of our senators in the future? Well, I think our senators have performed in outstanding ways in Washington. And I, you know, particularly if you're if we're comparing to to where I saw them both, say, in January. They've become you know, strong fighters that I think have are in, in certain ways have found a, a, a voice that I'm, I'm not sure either, that either of them knew that they had. So beyond the health care fight, I'm curious what other sorts of issues uh, you're involved with uh, with Indivisible would be. And I, I think maybe a way to frame that discussion is to tell us a little bit about Whidbey Island. You've touched on a few points, but for those of us who aren't familiar, just tell us a little bit about the politics there. I know that Whidbey is home to a lot of artists and creative people, which I would imagine makes the politics there rather progressive. But as you say, it's a, a large island. So give us an idea of sort of the political makeup of the island. Well, I still try to get a feel for it. It, it, it. it surprises in certain ways. The obvious thing is that the north of the island has a large um, naval air base, and the military folk do tend to be you know, more conservative and more Republican. Um, so the north part of the island does tend to vote red. Um, you know, they, they vote red in military ways. I mean, the, you know, military um, conservatism is not the same thing as Tea Party conservatism. Sure. You know, it's often more, kind of, for lack of a better word, globalist. Hmm. The south end of the island is, you know, some some portions of it are, are almost, you know, um, you know, bedroom communities for people who work in, you know, in in Everett and um, you know, and Linwood and even Seattle. The island does tend to have an older population. Um, a fair number of retirees. It, it does have a an arty population. A lot of writers, which is actually what drew us here. Uh, my wife's a writer. You know, we we we, we seem to be sending um, you know you know Democrats to Washington and Republicans to Olympia, um, mm-hmm. but that has something to do with 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 slight differences in the way the districts are drawn. So, based on all of that, what are some of the other priorities of Indivisible would be? Well, one of our big priorities is um, is regional organization. I've been, I probably spend 50 to 60% of my time focusing on, on, on groups in my region and, and groups in Seattle and trying to get us working together on projects of mutual interest. Uh, one of the first things that, that, that I got involved in was the planning for the uh, town hall um, in February. Um, there was a constituent-led town hall um, you know, in, in Seattle, and, and, and I helped instigate and, and, and plan that, which was a little on the weird side because, you know, when they announced the four sponsors, you know, Indivisible Seattle, Indivisible North Seattle, Indivisible Edmonds, and Indivisible Coopville, I mean, they got laughs. I mean, it did. I mean, people thought it was pretty funny. So what, you know, what, what the heck is Coopville doing? <laughs> right. We do need to be able to work in concert, in coordination, you know, on, in, in a regional way and even sometimes in a statewide way in order to be effective in particular instances. Well, as of the recording of this podcast, the healthcare fight continues on. We don't really know what Mitch McConnell's next move is going to be. Uh, what other sorts of events do you have planned for Indivisible would be pushing back on healthcare and other issues? We don't even know. I mean, so much of what we're doing um, is focused on things that are so fast moving that we, we we don't we don't exactly know what to plan when we're planning it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes up all the time when we meet with congressional staffers. We try to. 
um, you know, to descend on um, you know, the, on the Senate staffers in, in Everett, um, you know, you know, once every three weeks or so, and they like a week's warning that we're going to do that, and you know, they want to know what's going to be on the agenda. We generally pick the agenda item that's the hottest agenda item at the moment when we plan the agenda. And by the time we get there, it's usually you know, it's 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 two issues buried, and we 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 we've had vice versa. I mean, we were in. Um, the um, our, our, the Everett offices um, on a Monday where we sort of review. They say, well, there's nothing going on on healthcare this week, and we're going to be talking about environmental issues. Right. Um, Thursday of that week, the House passed uh, its version of Trump Care. I mean, things move faster than we have the organizational ability to plan for it. So it forces you to be nimble, I suppose. Well, it forces us to be nimble, but it also forces us to make reasonable guesses, you know, as as as, as to what it is that we need to do. Right. So we're th- we're thinking that the week of July 10th, we better be ready with something else on 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 the healthcare front. Yeah, well, the the fight uh, continues on, and we'll uh, we'll check back in with you later. But Larry, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I also want to thank you for uh, I've heard you cited as an inspiration in a lot of the work that you're doing out in uh, Whidbey Island. So uh, thanks for all that, man. Well, thank you very much. I, it's a, that's a heavy burden to be an inspiration, but I, I, I think you meant it as a compliment, and that's the way I'll I take it. I surely did. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And we will wrap up today on our call to action, but first, our dose of good news. First, we will start with our smallest state, Rhode Island, which has officially instituted automatic voter registration via the so-called motor voter registration law, meaning that any interaction that you have with your state's DMV automatically gets you registered to vote. And it's currently being implemented in a number of other states, including California, Alaska, Connecticut, Vermont, West Virginia, D.C., plus our neighbor to the south, Oregon. Uh, I should also mention that Illinois just passed a law that uses interaction with other government agencies like the Department of Health Care and Family Services to automatically register voters in case you don't, you know, drive. Uh, it's worth noting that the measure in these states passed with bipartisan support and has saved a ton of money. Hey, maybe Washington might join the ranks. What do you say? Sure would be great. Next, my hat is off, and if you know me, I'm always wearing one, to Bay Area Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who has been fighting for the last 16 years to get the authorization for use of military force, the measure that was made law after 9-11, repealed. She was the only member of Congress to vote against it back in 2001, something for which she actually received death threats, because she felt that it gave a blank check to the executive to start wars of choice, like, you know, Iraq. Uh, Remember that? Well, in a surprise turn, the House Appropriations Committee approved her bill to proceed in a bipartisan vote. It is the first step, but I think it's fair to say that some members of Congress are waking up to the fact that maybe we don't want Donald Trump to have a blank check to start a war whenever somebody disses him on Twitter. So... Thank you, Representative Lee. We will be following the story. And finally, Hobby Lobby. You know, those anti-woman Bible thumpers who are the reason we all shop at Michael's? Well, it turns out they may have taken their obsession with religion a little too far and may have taken some ancient cuneiform tablets from Iraq. Did I say taken? I meant smuggled. Well, per a recent court decision, Hobby Lobby is now being forced to return said tablets and to pay an additional $3 million. Put that in your scrapbook, Hobby Lobby. 
And now for this week's call to action, and it concerns net neutrality. You have heard a ton about this issue recently, so you're probably familiar with what's up. But in essence, net neutrality means that Internet service providers should treat all content, applications, and websites exactly the same without favoring or blocking specific ones. Meaning that billionaires shouldn't be able to buy more favorable access on the Internet while throttling or blocking those who can't pay. In other words, we don't want the internet run by the Sopranos. Capiche? Today is Wednesday, June 12th, and it is the Net Neutrality Day of Action, in which a huge number of internet-based companies, as well as lawmakers and public figures, are out pushing hard for Congress to act and codify net neutrality into law before the FCC, at the behest of one Donald J. Trump, is able to effectively end it. Everybody is speaking out today, from Tim Berners-Lee, you know, the guy who actually created the internet, to Mark Zuckerberg, the ACLU, Mozilla, Netflix, even our own Senator Maria Cantwell is out front on the issue. She held a town hall last week advocating for it. So what can we do? Well, we can contact the FCC and say that we support a free and open internet, and we can thank both of our senators for supporting net neutrality, and we can call our representatives and ask them to do the same. So there you have it. Let's get active on the net neutrality Day of Action, and that is this week's Call to Action. And that is also it for this week's Washington State Indivisible Podcast. Please, as always, keep the thoughts and feedback coming. You guys are awesome. The email address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Chris Petzold and to Larry Barrent, and thank you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.